I want to take today's episode to really dive into this idea of mergers and acquisitions. Okay. Recently, I was looking at the definition on Investopedia.com, and here's what it tells us. A merger occurs when two separate entities combine forces to create a new joint organization. Meanwhile, an acquisition refers to the takeover of one entity by another. Mergers and acquisitions may be completed to expand a company's reach or gain market share in an attempt to create shareholder value. I think that last part is going to be key for today's episode. Shareholder value. I want investors who listen to this particular podcast to start thinking like a shareholder. You can think like a stakeholder or you can think like a shareholder. Our guest today, Jeremy Harbour, he has a vast amount of experience in the M&A world, and he's going to show us what it's like to think like a shareholder and how thinking like a shareholder may very well change your entire outlook on your investment journey. I'm DJ Motri with Acquisitions Network, and welcome to How to Acquire Podcast. All right, we are back for another great episode of How to Acquire Podcast. And I'm excited about uh, this conversation. I just finished reading this book uh, called Go Do Deals. And I was blown away. I'm familiar with business acquisitions, but there's some key gems inside this book that really open up your eyes and make you look at things a little bit different, especially in the world of mergers and acquisitions. The author of this book, the founder of the Harbor Club, also the founder of uh, Unity Group, uh, is here today. Uh, Jeremy Harbor, welcome to How to Acquire Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you very much. That's a lovely introduction. I'm glad you uh, glad you read the book. I'm glad you to have this conversation. Um, for those who don't know who you are, I, I know it's it's in the book a little in the in the very beginning. How did you get into this world of mergers and acquisitions? Yeah, so I think um, look when you start talking about mergers and acquisitions to you know to people, quite often they glaze over because they just assume, hey, this isn't for me. I haven't got tons of money. I can't. I haven't got good credit. I can't go to the bank and get you know a, a big loan, um, or I don't want to borrow a load of money and buy a company, or you know they they ch- they jump to conclusions uh, straight away. And, and for me, I came about it by accident. I was in an industry that uh, expanded very quickly um, and fragmented. So I was in the telecoms industry in the 1990s, and uh, there was a lot of deregulation. Mobile phones were getting smaller, and, and thousands of new players were springing up everywhere. And after this massive phase of kind of fragmentation, this you know thousands of different companies setting up, there was a period of consolidation where all the businesses started eating each other and acquiring and, and, and growing into uh, you know bigger companies. And so I just happened to be in in an industry where acquisition was a very normal thing to do. And we were being approached all the time by people trying to acquire us. And so I had this kind of my education, if you like, was sitting on the other side of the table table with people trying to buy me. 
And it was, it was obvious then that uh, actually most of these people didn't have the capital, uh, you know, either the, the debt or the, or the cash to do the acquisition. They were structuring deals that didn't use much cash up front, but solved other problems for me. And, and that was really the genesis of my, uh, you know, of me starting to think about this. Because before then, like I say, it would, it would, you know, for me, it was you start a business, you work your nuts off, you know, you work really hard. And, uh, and it's all about sales, marketing, and team. You know, that, that, was the, that was the belief I had about entrepreneurship. And then when suddenly you see, well, hang on, a, hang on a second, this guy, if he acquires me, you know, we've been going for like three years, I guess, at this point. So he would have acquired my three years of, of input and growth and added a million dollars plus of revenue uh, to their, uh, you know, to their P&L overnight. Um, and, and, you know, that, that seems like a much smarter way to scale. Uh, and that was really the, the kind of, yeah, the genesis of the idea. I find it interesting that you saw that as an opportunity instead of maybe the other way around where somebody's on the other side of the table, they technically don't have any capital. Uh, some people look at that as a red flag or what are they doing? Mm -hmm. That's not the kind of people I would want to do business with. And they would run the other way and go find somebody who's going to throw money at them. But you saw that and said, wait, if you're doing it this way, how can I learn how to do that too? Yeah, yeah. You see, some of the pitches were clumsy, which is exactly what you're talking about. And you sit there and just go, the guy's an idiot. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then some of them would be really good. And you'd, be, yeah. you'd actually think about doing it. And, you, you know, and it was a really compelling reason. And, and they, they set it up really, really well. And, uh, and you know, there, there were several of them that I think I could have actually gone ahead with and probably had a fantastic win-win uh, transaction with as well. You know, we both would have done very well out of those, but it would have been a different path I'd gone down. I, I decided that I was going to, I think literally the, the penny that dropped in my head was, uh, um, you know, they, they don't have any money. Hang on. I don't have any money either. I can be one of them. <laughs> right. That, that, that must have been a light bulb moment to say, wow, well, if I don't need capital, I can do anything in this world. I can accomplish yeah, anything I mean, at any time. It was fascinating because I'd say what happened, I then went out, I got most of my business from networking. So I was constantly out meeting people and, and talking to people, but I was like a hunter, you know? So my business card said CEO, but I was a glorified salesperson. I, I, you know, all I did really was sell my company's products. I didn't really do any of the other kind of CEO jobs particularly well. Um, but what that meant is when I went to a networking meeting, I was the most annoying guy in the room because I was the one that was just going to pester the shit out of you until you bought stuff from me, you know? <laughs> so nobody wants to talk to that guy. Um, uh, they want to talk to, uh, yeah, more interesting people. Well, when I went into those same rooms and I started saying, I've got a telecoms company and I'm looking to acquire other telecoms companies, all of a sudden I was the most interesting person in the room and loads Ooh. of people would be fascinated because I was like 20 years old, 21 years old, something like this. So people would look at me, this young guy is buying companies, what the, you know, like, and they would want to come and talk to me and find out what that's about and how that works. And it just opened tons of doors for me. I actually probably got more customers not pitching them for, for business than I did when I was pitching them for business, you know? Right. Uh, so it's kind of like when you're, uh, when you're not desperate anymore is when you get all the, uh, you know, when you get things that you want. Um, so it, it was a really fascinating pivot for an entrepreneur. Uh, the way I describe it now is I made a shift from customer value to shareholder value. 
So the customer value stuff is all staff, customers, sales, marketing, you know, all of, all of this kind of stuff. The shareholder value stuff is all joint ventures, mergers, acquisitions, exits. It's strategic stuff that increases the shareholder value of your business. It's the, it's the game-changing stuff. Now, as an entrepreneur, you have to do that transition at some point. In the early days, you, you do everything in the business. You know, you're the, you, know you're, you're, you have every job role at some point in, a, in the evolution of the business. But when you get to a certain stage, all of those things become jobs. They're all jobs. They're all jobs that other people should be doing. And you need to find something to do because if you don't find something to do, you just end up interfering in those jobs. So, and, and you know, you can employ people to do those things. So there's, there's a tipping point where the business goes from you doing everything to you having got everything to the point where other people can do those jobs and you can move into that more strategic role, that more shareholder role. And lots of entrepreneurs never do that. You know, you, you meet people that are 40 years in, 50 years into a business, and they're still in one of those job roles in the business. They haven't transitioned to shareholder value, but that's fine. But, but, but it's something to recognize. When you were making that transition to a shareholder mentality, did someone have to nudge you and say, think like this, or did it just happen naturally? No, I'll tell you what happened was I started buying businesses. And when you when you started a business, you're naturally ingrained in everything that that business does. When you buy a business, you're not. You have to involve yourself in it. And so what I would do is I would buy them and I would start to involve myself in it. And then I realized, you know, I, 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 I went from uh, one company to 12 companies in 18 months. Um, and uh, we went from 1 million in revenue to 13 and a half million in revenue in that same period and we went from 20 staff to 135 staff in that same period and uh, and it sounds great you know you're, you're like everybody thinks that sounds great but the only thing worse than running one shit company is running 12 shit companies <laughs> so when you, are, when you are basically if you think about it you've got the ceo of each company deals yeah. with these problems in every company and then there's the problem they can't solve and the problem they can't solve lands on your desk um so basically you spend every day dealing with the shittiest of shitty problems that have come up through, uh, you know, through this, this group of companies. And so, um, yeah, the, the lesson I learned was, was not to get involved in uh, the operations of the businesses and to behave like a shareholder. So what I actually did, I sold, uh, sold out, down those companies um, and realized that you make money when you sell companies, not when you're running them. That was a, that was a big lesson. Um, and, uh, and then I focused on just buying and selling companies, but never getting involved in them. So, uh, you know, the, the, the early phase of my career, I was in that empire building phase where I wanted to get involved in everything and, and try and uh, uh, do everything. And then I realized that actually, no, I need to focus on that strategic stuff, the mergers, acquisitions, joint ventures, exits. Um, and that's basically all I did. So, uh, yeah, from about 2006 to about 2016, I just bought and sold companies and didn't run any of them. Um, and then, uh, yeah, 2016 onwards, I started doing stuff with uh, capital markets and taking companies public. Yeah, I found it very interesting in the book you mentioned, and I don't want to give it all away, no. uh, but you did mention that you started um, kind of, it was almost like a game, like, hey, how can I acquire uh, as many companies as possible with no money down? I think you did a few deals where there was uh, a little bit down or a little bit of capital uh, put in there. And so you, I found that to be very intriguing. Like, you know what? I'm gonna be disciplined at this to make sure that I, I become a master at my craft. 
Yeah, yeah, effectively, I mean, uh, how it worked, I did the first couple of deals with no cash. Um, and then, uh, and, and the main reason was because I had no cash. You know, what is it they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. Um, right. You know, I, I didn't have the money, so there was no way they were going to get any of it. After that, I started making money. So I had money. And the next two deals, I put 15 grand, actually the next three deals, I put 15 grand into two of, into each of two of them and 20 grand into the third one. And I structured it in a way where I could get the money back out again relatively quickly, but I, but I put the money in, uh, in anyhow. Um, and it was after the third one, I caught myself, you know, and I just thought, you know what? I'm only giving them this money because I have it. Um, and Ooh. if I same transaction without it, I feel I could have done it without the cash. Right. Um, so, yeah, I kind of gamified it with myself um, where I would sit there and belligerently not want to put any cash into the transaction. And look, there's a, it, there's a really good reason for um, structuring deals in this way, because if you do commit cash, you really need to do your homework. You need to do a lot of due diligence on the company. You really need to understand what you're getting yourself uh, into, because there's risk associated with you know, deploying capital. If you take away the downside, um, then the risk becomes asymmetric. You can't lose anything because you didn't put anything in, but you've got upside. Um, so that can also make you far more pragmatic and, far, and you can act far more quickly. Um, so, you know, I was able to swoop in and buy companies in a, in a day or two, um, whereas other people would be pissing around for six months doing uh, due diligence. And in fact, um, I was introduced to a, a special situation company because I used to do a lot of distressed companies. I was introduced to a special situation company that had been going through a sales process for six months with a, with a buyer. Um, I bought it within a week and then sold it to the buyer that had been doing their DD for the last six months. Um, wow. And so I made a six-figure um, selling it straight on to them. Um, and so that ability to act quickly, to recognize what the problem is that you're solving and how you can solve works for them and works for you and reduces the amount of risk that you take is, is really, really key. And the other thing to recognize is that there, it is a buyer's market. You know, all of these people will be saying, I want 200 grand up front or I want, you know, whatever it is as the, the cash component at the beginning. What they fail to mention is that no one's going to give it to them. <laughs> so right. it's like there's this big queue out the door of people holding checkbooks. You're, you're probably the only game in town. So, uh, you know, of course they say they want the cash. Everybody wants to go, fuck it, I would want the cash. But, you know, but yeah. that doesn't mean, you know, your desire doesn't, isn't enough to make sure that you, you get it. So it's about structuring a deal that they're comfortable with, that works for both parties, that gets you what you want and, and creates an asymmetric risk uh, profile. I think that's, that's a key part that you just said there. Because I think some people may have pressed play, listened to this episode, heard no money down, and they think that, well, are we trying to take advantage of the other mm -hmm. side? But really, when you're structuring a deal, from what I'm understanding, it's mm -hmm. really how do we make sure that both sides walk away happy? And yeah. it actually puts you in a, in a better spot, in my opinion, because you're not coming out of any money. And then the other side is getting basically what they want in some way, um, maybe yeah. more down the line, but they're getting what they want. So to me, it's a win-win. It is, absolutely. I mean, look, there's a case study in the book, you know, there's a guy who was 72 years old, his wife was 40 years old, so he obviously wanted to get on and spend time with his, uh, with his wife. And um, he'd been trying to sell the business for two years. Um, he occasionally got low-balled uh, low -ball offers on it, but it owned, uh, you know, owned 1.1 million pounds worth of it. It was in the UK, so it's in pounds, 1.1 million pounds worth of real estate. And there was a business in there that was spinning off a couple of hundred grand a year in, in, uh, in free cash flow. 
Um, and he just kept getting lowball uh, offers on it. He wanted a, you know, a, a 1.7 million valuation for it. There was some cash in the bank, 200 grand of profit plus this real estate. It was a fair price. And uh, and like I said, there's not there's no one out there writing those checks. There was a few people that would mortgage the property, get 600 grand out and give to him, um, but they wouldn't get him near his 1.7 million. So very simply, a Harbour Club uh, member in, in this particular case um, just did a, uh, a deferred transaction of giving them a, a, a lien, a charge over the uh, real estate. So effectively, the guy kind of kept one hand on the real estate. If, if, he, if you had a bank in there, the bank would have taken charge over all the assets. So if it goes wrong, the bank runs off and everything and all left hand dry. So this way, the owner keeps the, uh, the, the, the pledge over the real estate. Um, and then gets his earn out over, you know, his uh, deferred payment over a period of time. So he gets his full valuation. He he only takes risk for the first, uh, you know, the first year or two because um, that's the difference between the real estate and the purchase price. And uh, and then yeah, it's just really about you know demonstrating to him that you're the safe pair of hands that can deliver on the, you know on that on that plan and, and make it work. Um, so you know he he then got to spend his retirement with his wife instead of. Using using those last years, you know, uh, working in a yeah, working in a in a business. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a valuable service, you know. Particularly, there's so many baby boomers, you know, retiring parents who own businesses that want, you know, they want to protect their staff and they want to make sure that the business continues. Um, and uh, you know, often brokers are telling them they can get these fantastical numbers by selling their business, but there there just isn't a huge market for small boring. Businesses, um, you know, uh, if it's not in some crazy tech uh, space, it's very hard to get uh, people interested in. You know, uh, there's there was two, there was a lot in the book that really stood out, but there was two things that really stood out to me. First was this idea of the 51% myth, right? Mm. Everyone believes, well, I got to own 51% of the company in order to uh, have control. Mm -hmm. And when I was reading that chapter, I think I might've read it three times. When I was reading mm -hmm. that part, I said, wait a second, it really isn't about the percentage of ownership. And please correct me if I'm wrong. It's not about the percentage of ownership. It's, a, it's about how it's structured, how it's worded. And uh, of course I don't have, I know we'll talk uh, later about uh, the Harbor Club and, and the uh, documents that are part of the club but it's really about how am I structuring the wording inside of this contract or inside of this agreement? If you could, could you speak briefly on this 51% myth that is floating mm -hmm. out there uh, in the business world? Yeah, so look, I think everyone, you know, um, labors under the, the, this idea that, you know, you, yeah, if you have 51% of a company, you control it. Well, I mean, for a start, um, when it comes to selling a company, if you have a minority shareholder who's completely intransigent and doesn't want to sell, that can be a big pain in the ass uh, because you need to kind of sell a whole company. Um, but likewise, if you're a minority shareholder in a business and you don't have the, the correct rights, the right things in the shareholders agreement, um, you can really just be a passenger. Um, you know, you can own 30% of a company, but if the company never pays dividends and never exits, they never sell, um, your 30% is completely pointless. Um, and so basically uh, what we did is we created a set of clauses, um, that's five, five in total, that basically mean whatever percentage you have, you have control over the profits. So what happens to the, uh, the, you know, the dividends? And of course that benefits the other shareholder as much as it benefits you. So it's a very easy sell um, to get other people to agree to this. 
Um, we control uh, the exit through two separate clauses. Um, so when there's a potential buyer, a sale will happen, whether it happens to that buyer or the other person uh, buys you out. Uh, but it means that 100% of the company can be sold, which is which is really, really important because you don't then get this paralyzation uh, situation. Um, and again, it's very fairly worded and it also stops you from being the intransigent party. So it works works well for, for both parties. Um, it covers off what happens if one of the parties leaves and takes all the staff and the customers with them, which uh, again, is quite a common thing in small businesses and, uh, and can hugely devalue uh, the business so effectively it um, and again it protects both parties so it's easy to get them to sign uh, up to and then the final one is it basically keeps them on the straight and narrow through uh, a bunch of um, uh, reserved matters which basically mean that uh, anything that they want to do that, that dramatically changes what the business does or how its, uh, how its finances are, are dealt with they need to ask permission from you first um, and again it's easy to get that signed because they don't want you doing those things either so it's mutually protective uh, clause to uh, uh, to include but the net effect of having all of those clauses together effectively means that you have a very high degree of control over a company with a minority shareholding now minority shareholdings are quite easy to acquire in companies you can you can get a sweat equity position in a company very, very easily. We all have skills and value that we can bring. You know, um, often we're the only people that don't see our own value. You know, um, uh, you've got all your career and everything else behind you. You can you can do things other people can't do, but often you don't see that. You need you know other people see it, but you don't necessarily. So it's figuring out what that value is that you can bring to them in exchange for an equity participation, and then using these clauses to make that equity participation powerful and useful. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's a it's a hugely powerful way. We call it a WIBO, a work in buy out. Um, so a bit like a management buyout, but you work in to buy out the company. Uh, and this is a really simple thing. Any of your listeners right now, I think, could probably execute. You know, if you if you're a consultant or a coach, or you do something, you know, that adds value to businesses, you're a marketing guy or whatever. Any of those things um, can be effectively converted into equity. So instead of trading your time for money. Um, you trade your time for equity in the business. You add value, take a stake, um, and then use that stake to either help them grow the business by maybe doing other acquisitions or uh, you know doing more value, or use that stake to create a capital event for yourself. Sell the business, create this capital event, and uh, and start to create some personal wealth for yourself. You know, I, I always think that the key to wealth is capital events. If you look at you know saving, for example, no one in the Forbes list is there from saving. Um, so yeah, good point. Good point. And there are really two capital events that are easy to to do. The first is to um, start a company and then sell it, um, and the other one is to buy a company and then sell it. Um, because you know both of those can be done without cash. Uh, you know if you do something like real estate renovations, where you need money down for that. If you do you know most other things, you need some cash at the beginning in order to create the capital event. Business is the one area where you don't need to and yeah you can either start a business and sell it or buy a business and sell it the advantage of buying a business and selling it is obviously that um it's already built. um so you cut out all the blood the sweat and the years that went into getting it to where it is um you kind of shortcut that and go straight to the, the capital event. the second part and thank you for going into detail about that the second part that uh stamp that stood out to me was the idea of 
taking this skill set that you're teaching of uh, no money down, structuring and acquiring this company, and then allow another company to acquire me in exchange, I get equity in the bigger business. And I said, wait a second, when you really listen, for me, it was like, uh, I think Jay-Z, uh, he had a company, I think, I think it was Tidal, and then he sold Tidal uh, to a bigger company, and now he has stake in the bigger company as, mm-hmm. as a shareholder. To me, if we can understand that mindset, especially with what you're teaching, it changes everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, um, you know, when, when most of the big companies, Apple, Google, Facebook, you know, when, when they do acquisitions, they quite often do acquisitions with their own stock. So they use their public listed shares to acquire companies. And, uh, and that's a great way. It's a great way for them to increase uh, uh, value. And it's a great way for the entrepreneur to exit because they get participation in the, in the bigger, greater uh, story. Um, you know, and there, there are, there are lots of drivers of value, but scale is a big driver of value. So things that are bigger are are worth exponentially more than things that are small. So if you look at a small engineering company in, you know, a rural town in in America, it might only sell for one or two times its annual earnings. But if you look at a a global multinational engineering business that does billions of dollars of revenue, that'd be trading at 20 or 30 times earnings on the S&P. 500 and and you know it's the scale and the liquidity and the and the lower risk profile that drives up that valuation so if you can take your small company and inject it into a, a bigger one and participate in that, that value arbitrage um with that uh with that company yeah it's a it's a, it's a great way to look at it uh, thank you for that uh I, before we uh, head out i, I do want to make sure that people know uh, where they can go to learn this information. And luckily for us, you actually built out um, a educational group, I would call it. Maybe you can correct me. Uh, but you, you've built out the Harbor group where all these different uh, individuals who are looking to learn about investing and acquisitions and uh, mergers are coming together uh, to put their minds together uh, to learn all the different skill sets that you've learned over the years. How did that come about and what upcoming events do you have for the Harbor Group? Yeah, so um, it, it was really random. Um, I, I was always being pestered. So I, I kept buying companies for nothing. And I would always then be pestered by the competitors of those companies to figure out how I did it. You know, And quite often they'd want me to come and be like a non-executive director or do some kind of consulting role for them to help them grow by acquisition, but you know, without using uh, capital. And I just couldn't think of any good reason why I would do that, you know, because if I found a company, I would just buy it myself. Why would I buy it for somebody else in exchange for a salary? That would be dumb. Uh, so I right. kind of just dismissed all of these people. And then I bought an events business that did business seminars. And I, I saw that model. And I, I actually hated that model because it was all about getting people on on this little, uh, you know, sell them a little thing and then upsell them and upsell them. And, and you know, and a lot of it was uh, kind of pretty crappy uh, content. Um, but the, ge- the genesis of the idea was this is how I solved the problem of, uh, of these people who would like uh, me to consult for them. I teach them everything I know. They pay me some money. It's a fair exchange of knowledge for information. I don't work for them. But if we come across a project we want to work on together, we can do. It's a network of, uh, of, of you know, 
uh, well-educated, like-minded people that I can uh, that I can work with. And um, and so yeah, we, I started the Harvard Club. I deliberately made it the empty seminar in that there is uh, tons of content, no upsells. There's nothing else you can buy from us apart from the Harvard Club membership. There's no mentoring program or monthly retainer or anything like that. It's a single ticket, uh, one-off uh, membership. And then um, it's very community driven. So there are mastermind calls that you can join that are free. There's groups uh, set by geography. We're all over the world. We're in uh, US, Canada, UK, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, um, lots of other random countries as well. I apologize to all our members who I haven't mentioned your country. Um, <laughs> We're literally all over the globe. So as soon as you join, you know, um, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of training that you go through. But then inside, we have an app, uh, iOS and Android app. Inside the app, there's tons of content being posted all the time by other members um, around, you know, things, hacks that they found on sourcing or hacks that they found on how to do deals in a particular way or new banking facilities that are available in certain countries and things like this. And so... The whole thing is just it's just taken on a life of its own in terms of how it's evolving and, and uh, the information sharing and the amount of joint ventures and partnerships that go on inside that community is just incredible as well so i mean people are always partnering up on deals you've got people in australia doing deals in the us and there's, there was a guy in greece who did not uh, did a deal in australia um because you can you can sit on linkedin looking for potential targets speaking to them and then you just jump into the app and go hey i found a target it's in Brisbane, Australia, who's there, you know? Right, <laughs> right. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, you don't venture with that person and go do the deal. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's turned into this just amazing, uh, amazing community. And, uh, yeah, everybody has a, you know, a great relationship. And we, um, uh, so we do, basically, when somebody joins, um, it's all, most of it's done virtually. So you get a, a pre-course, which you can watch at your own pace, uh, which has got loads of content in it. And there's a three-day live virtual event that you, you go through, which is a, it's like a fire hose of information attached, attached to your brain. It's, it's, it's a lot to take on. But what, what I always say is that actually, you're not, it, what you're going to learn from is the doing. You're going to learn from going out and buying a company. You're not going to learn, you know, it's like you can't read a book about tennis and be a tennis player. You need to get people on a racket and you're on. <laughs> yeah. or, uh, it's exactly the same with businesses. You can learn all the information, but that doesn't teach you how to buy businesses. You, you learn how to buy businesses going out and actually doing a deal. So all of our program is orientated around taking action, doing stuff, um, sitting in accountability. We have accountability groups that you join where, uh, you know, to keep you on track, to get you, drag you through that first deal. We call it breaking your deal virginity. So your, your goal is to break your deal virginity as quickly as possible. And then... Um, uh, and then, yeah, off to the, you know, off and running after that. So um, we do do live events uh, a couple of times a year as well um, for our members. Um, so we have one called Deal Fest, um, which uh, has obviously been postponed for quite some time. The last live event we did was at the beginning of 2020. Uh, um, and uh, we can't, can't wait to start doing those again. I think the next one, we've got about four or 500 people, four or 500 members all coming at the same time. Um, and that will be three days of case studies and networking uh, with the other members um, so uh, yeah i think a, a lot of stuff will be done then so and here's an interesting one last year 2020 the weirdest year in all man <laughs> history um right. we we decided at the beginning of the year before we knew the whole world was going to take a shit on itself um we decided at the beginning of the year um that we would measure the um amount of wealth that we created in our community 
Um, so we uh, uh, we basically we're an M and A community, mergers and acquisitions community. So we we've never we've always measured mergers and acquisitions. We've always looked at the deals done. We've never looked at the other end of it, which is the wealth creation. And so we decided to look at uh, exits. And um, we uh, yeah, in 2020, everybody had to volunteer their deals in the community. Not everybody did. Everyone's a bit cagey about you know saying how much money they made. But, but we got 34 people to. Uh, transparently share all of their sale and purchase agreements, bank statements, and everything relating to deals. So, 34 people collectively created 74 million dollars in exits wow. during uh, during 2020. Wow. Um, and we have that audited by the global audit firm PKF, the number four, 14th largest audit firm in the world, um, so that we could redact all of the names. So we got PKF to do the audit, and then we could take all the names of the people out because otherwise they're going to get bombarded by people asking them for money. Um, but uh, we know there's a whole bunch more people in the community who didn't give us the info because they told us I did a deal, but I'm not, not going to send you right. the info. Um, but, uh, but we're really proud of that. You know, we're, we have got a big passion around democratizing wealth and creating wealth for entrepreneurs. And uh, yeah, we're, we're up there actually doing it. How does that make you feel um, knowing that you started this just because you wanted to share this information? And uh, a percentage of people within your uh, club, seventy. I wrote down seventy-four billion dollars. Million, million. How does that yeah. make you feel? Yeah, it's, uh, fantastic. Yeah, it's really, it's awesome. Do you know what? I'll be completely honest, and I'll say I started it for the money. Uh, back in two thousand nine, I just saw it as a way of getting those people that I was telling to go away, who I didn't want to do consulting work for. I saw it as a way of them giving me cash. Um, and, uh, and I had no idea that it would become this amazing community and it's just evolved. I mean, this was in 2009 when it started it. And very quickly I realized, um, you know, the, the power of it. And we really shifted it into a community um, uh, type of uh, project. And, uh, and yeah, it's taken on a life of its own and, uh, and, and it's, been, it's been so rewarding. I mean, for me financially, it's been rewarding because I do deals with a lot of the members. Um, so last year I did 12 deals myself personally. Um, 10 of those were with Harbour Club members. Um, so it's been you know, incredibly rewarding in that respect, but then also um, it's increased my own knowledge um, exponentially because when you have to teach people how you do stuff, you really have to analyze it and, uh, and do it. Plus you get to split test it thousands of times over because everyone's trying this in different countries and, and all of this sort of stuff. So I, I wouldn't be half as knowledgeable as I am now without the community that I uh, that I created, and uh, and it really showed me the power of, of entrepreneurship to solve some of the biggest problems in the world. And I think, um, yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, going forwards, this this can turn into a real movement that helps entrepreneurs create wealth and then go on and solve bigger problems. Before we head out, uh, of course, in the show notes, we're going to let everybody know where they can go and learn more about the Harbor Club. I want to uh, at least ask one more question. Um, I keep reading about uh, now is the greatest time for wealth transfer in history. This it keeps popping up, whether it be uh, CNBC articles or Fortune magazine or Entrepreneur. Does that apply to this world as well? Is it does does that relate or translate to uh, SMEs? Absolutely, yeah. So look, um, uh, in the US, you have 11,000 people a day retiring. Um, and the baby boomer generation is a, is a sort of demographic tidal wave that's run through 
um, you know, every great economic boom has been driven by this this uh, this wave of people that were born uh, in the 1940s and 50s, and um, uh, and basically they own most of the small businesses. I think in the, I check my statistics, but I think in the U.S. it's 40 percent small to medium sized businesses are owned by the baby boomer generation, um, and of course, you know, they're in their 70s now, so um, they can't work forever. Uh, and uh, you know, they, they need to transition that. Now, unfortunately, because there's so many of them and the next generation is smaller and the next generation doesn't want to do what they did, they don't want to run an elevator engineering company, they want a Bitcoin you know, app or something. Um, so uh, it's very hard to find a natural successor for uh, those businesses. So they're trading at horrible multiples. Um, you know, you can, you can look at the BizBuySell dot uh, com report um, and that shows you the multiples that these small businesses are selling for and it's it's peanuts um, so oftentimes these people are either just not selling or they're winding the business down they're not recruiting any new people they're not upgrading any equipment they're you know just winding it down into the ground and they'll shut the doors and walk away at some point um, so there's a huge amount of value out there that if you can put a value proposition to them that is better than them winding it down and closing it um, uh, you can end up with a great business that's got great clientele, that's been around for a long time, has a reputation and, and all of that stuff, and they can get their legacy protected, their succession uh, dealt with, and potentially more upside for them um, uh, for, than, than simply uh, yeah, winding it down to, to nothing. So, yeah, there is a, there's a mutually beneficial relationship that can be created with these businesses uh, and, uh, and generate a whole load of wealth for the, for the next generation. So for the people listening, it's not too late. You can still learn this skill set and go out and acquire businesses right now in today's world. Absolutely, yeah. We have people doing this every day. I love it. Jeremy, I want to thank you so much for a couple of things. For taking the time out to create the Harbor Club. You didn't have to do that. You could have kept all the information to yourself. Um, writing this book, I know you wrote uh, another book or maybe even more. But this is the only book I've read of yours so far. Uh, so thank you for writing the book. And then thank you for your clubhouse conversations as well. Um, I noticed, and I, I just got to put this out there. I noticed sometimes I go on clubhouse and there's these rooms with thousands of people and they're talking about absolutely nothing. And yeah. then I sit down in, in your room and there might be 20 of us, right? And we're having a wealth, like a next level conversation. And yeah, I want to yeah. thank you for putting so much out there. I feel like you don't hold much back um, no, as far no. as getting the information out there. So thank you yeah. uh, for doing that. And for people who are about to uh, research and, and be part of the Harbor Club, what are some parting words or words of advice you have for them before they join up? Yeah, look, um, uh, you, you know, learn a little bit about this uh this idea and see if it's for you because it might not be for you you know it's it, it's not for everybody <laughs> so you know right. do do research um you know watch uh we, we put loads of free content out we have a, a 21 day uh, email course which lots of people can participate in which is which is completely free um there's the book which is obviously not a, an inexpensive way of uh, getting some of the ideas um you can watch our youtube channel or instagram all of that stuff um uh, we'll, we'll give you a load of free information where you can basically then say, could I see myself doing this, you know? And if you could see yourself doing it, it's an incredibly rewarding and, uh, uh, and, and fun way to do business. You know, it's, uh, it, it's 
it beats traditional entrepreneurship, I think, from my, I've done both and I, I know which one I, I prefer. So yeah, I would just say go out and, and try and pick up some of the basics and understand what the concepts are and see if you could, you know, could you see yourself doing this? And, and if you can, great, we'd love to have you in, involved. And if you can't, no, no hard feelings, it's not for everybody, yeah. And from what I'm hearing, a majority of these sound like they can be done virtually, a lot of these deals. Yeah, I mean, so uh, I mean, I, um, I got rid of my office uh, about four years ago, and my my entire company, we have you know, my equity business in Singapore went completely virtual. Um, and yeah, we do we do about a deal a month, um, pretty consistently for wow. several years, um, and we do it all on Zoom. Uh, we've been a Zoom customer since 2015. Um, must have been one of the first <laughs> before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. Long-standing, uh, yeah, Zoom user. So yeah, it can all be done remotely. Uh, Jeremy, thank you again so much. I wanted to ask that question because I want to make sure that I get rid of everybody's excuses. I don't want to yeah. hear about oh, I can't travel or it costs too much to travel or uh, well, I don't have the information. I'm getting rid of everyone's excuses. So if this is for them, they have that opportunity. Yeah, so look, in the, in the Harbour Club community, what we often find is that people break down into different kind of um, skill sets. And so you have, uh, we call them scouts, um, closers, and operators. Um, and so scouts are really good at finding opportunities. Closers are really good at putting together the deal structure and getting, getting it over the line. And the operators are the ones that are really good at fixing it and getting it into a saleable uh, position or adding value and, and uh, going through the sale process. And some people can do all three of those things. Uh, some people are, you know, they, they can do all of it, but some people don't have either the confidence or the competence straight off the bat to be able to do that. And so they will quite often partner up with other people that, that fit those other criteria. Um, so if you want a closer, it's very easy to go into our community and find the people that have done deals and partner up with one of them to help you close the opportunities that you're finding. Um, if you need an operator, there's several uh, people in there that have got great experience of doing that. And you just partner up with one of them to actually go in and do the, the operation bit. So Obviously, if you if you can do it all yourself, you get to keep all of the equity. But hey, business is often more fun when you play with friends. Anyway, I agree. Uh, yeah, so get, you know, get get some people in. It's a, it's amazing what a small team can actually go around and deliver um, versus a solo a solopreneur. You know? Well, I, I did take. I, I promise, I'm I'm ending now. I did uh, take the 21 day course. I have read the book. I'm I'm at the step now. It's like, well, I just need to join the club. And so I uh, wanted to make sure that we had an opportunity to speak first, but that's my yeah. next step. I look, for, awesome. I look forward to being part of the club and uh, learning all these uh, very interesting um, ways of structuring and also building relationships with these mm -hmm. business owners. Uh, I have two podcasts. The second podcast is Black Equity Podcast. I speak to business owners weekly. And so yeah. as I'm reading your book, I'm like, well, I, I, maybe I am more of a scout. I don't know. But I'm talking mm -hmm. to business owners all the time. And yeah. now I'm seeing, well, there might have been some really great opportunities uh, within those conversations. And I want to make yeah. sure I'm, I'm taking advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, uh, uh, if nothing else, you're going to find a bunch of really good podcast uh, people inside the community as well. You're not going to run short of uh, right. really great people's people to interview for, for, for both of them, in fact. So we've got a really nice, diverse membership. So uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. The women are nailing it at the moment as well, by the way. So oh, really? We, yeah, women entrepreneurs in the Harbour Club, smash the guys. Awesome. Uh, 
whole empathy rapport thing, they just seem to nail. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they're 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 hitting it out of the park. There's a there's a whole separate women's uh, chat group and, um, and regular Zoom call that uh, that they have, and uh, yeah, they're smashing it. That's awesome. Uh, once again, thank you so much for all that you're doing. I look forward to speaking to you in the future. The doors are always open. If you want to come back on How to Acquire a Podcast, we'd love to have you. Um, and I look forward to talking to you in the future. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, what a great, great insight. I want to thank Jeremy Harbour for coming through and having a conversation on how to acquire a podcast. Reaching out to him was very easy. I simply sent him a message, and the next thing I know, we are on a podcast. Um, You know, just reflecting on my three years of podcasting real quick, uh, sometimes it's really difficult to you know, sit down with someone and have a 30 minute conversation because everybody is so busy. But what I found is the people who have the time and are willing to share their experiences uh, without there being um, any fuss about it. Those are the best connections, man. Those are the best ones. And Jeremy's one of those connections. Um, I've included the Unity Group and the Harbor Club links and also the link to his newest book, uh, Go Do Deals, uh, which I finished right before uh, that uh, conversation. Uh, So it was fresh on my mind to talk to him um, because it was such a really eye opening book. And now just to give you some deeper insight. Now I've actually uh, began working with. Jeremy and the Harbor Club, and I'm out here talking to different business owners and uh, working on deals, and it's really exciting, um, really exciting to be living uh, what used to be a dream is now a reality, and um, I'm thinking like a shareholder now, so much so that I'm having to say no to certain things because it just wouldn't be worth my time, uh, not to sound... <laughs> Uh, any you know type of way, but when you start thinking like a shareholder, if something that you're working on wouldn't allow you to be a shareholder, then why would you even pursue it? Overall, I'm really excited that you had an opportunity to listen to this episode. Share this episode with your entire network. If you know somebody's on the up and coming side of investing or they've been in investing for 20 plus years and maybe it's a different way to look at things you need to share this with them that's really the ultimate goal here on this podcast is looking at things from different perspectives different asset classes and bringing different investors together and deciding for ourselves what makes the most sense so until next time on the next episode of how to acquire Uh, I want you to live long and prosper and think like a shareholder.